Uh, well, good evening, everyone. It's great to see you. Uh, my name's uh, my name's Kevin, and we're going to spend some time uh, looking at the Bible together now. But I'm going to ask for God's help and pray again uh, that He would be at work in us. Our Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks that we can meet tonight as your people. And Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would help us to understand it. Father, by your word and by your spirit, may you be at work in us. Please transform and shape us that we might grow in maturity and that we might grow to be more like your son, the Lord Jesus. And we pray this for his glory. Amen. Well, you might remember up until uh, recently, we've been looking at the Gospel of John uh, on Sunday evenings. Uh, I'm going to take a break from John's Gospel now until next year, I think. Anyway, no. Later in the year, anyway. Sometime later, we'll come back to uh, John's Gospel. Uh, What we're going to do next is we're going to look at the Book of Judges. So starting from next Sunday, we're going to be looking at the Book of Judges. Uh, But in between, uh, we're coming back to this series we sort of kicked off earlier in the year uh, called Can I Really Ask That? Uh, And what we did is we invited people from across the parish to uh, put in their questions. uh, And some of these questions we're going to look at uh, in a talk. Uh, And so today, the question that we're going to look at, uh, coming up on the screen, uh, the question is this. Uh, One of my non-Christian friends seem to love me more than people at church. And I think this is a good candidate for our series because it's the kind of question that you read and you wonder, you think, well, can I really ask that? Uh, And the reason, of course, it's the kind of question that might raise the the pain of the past. Uh, And as you read this question, you might be thinking of sort of previous uh, disappointments or hurts or pains uh, from people at church. Or it may even be a present experience Uh, Even now, you still feel bitter or resentful uh, to those in your congregation. And so it's worth recognising that we start that this is a a tricky question for us to look at together, but an important one uh, for us to consider and to think about how the Bible speaks to it. Uh, But we need to make sure that we press on with sensitivity and grace as we come to this question. Now, in terms of where we're going, there's kind of uh, three parts, and you can jot this down in your outline if that's helpful. Uh, So the first part where we're going to spend most of our time is the good and the bad of relationships. Uh, The second part is the dangers of the world. Uh, And thirdly, loving your church family. So just to sort of let you know where we're going. We're going to start then in our first point, the good and the bad of relationships. And in fact, we're going to start right back at the very beginning of the Bible uh, in the book of Genesis. Because we see back then in, well, the account of the creation... Uh, we see that human relationships were part of God's good design. So Adam and Eve were made to be in relationship together, and their relationship was perfect. Of course, until sin entered into the world, until Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. And one of the consequences was this, oh, sorry, from this, uh, was that it brought a brokenness into human relationships. Uh, and that's something that we see today as well, isn't it? We see that all of us, actually, because of sin, well, all of us experience the brokenness of human relationships. Uh, We see that there is still the good. I mean, this is part of God's good design, that we would be in relationship with others, we'd have friends. But we also see the bad as well. We see the brokenness because of sin. Uh, And we see this good and the bad played out throughout the Bible. So, for example, in a Ecclesiastes that we had read before, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, so it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. So you can see the, the positive, can't you? 
the joy of having a friend or a companion, one who can help you. But on the flip side, we also see the negative, the bad. See, in verse 10, it continues, it says, Pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. A reminder that in our world, there is loneliness. There are some who do not have a friend to help them. But we similarly, we see the good and the bad of human relationships in the New Testament as well. So one place is in the life of the Apostle Paul. You know, when you're reading through uh, the New Testament, you come to one of Paul's letters uh, and you come to the chapter at the end and there's that long list of uh, names and you're tempted to skip over it, right? But actually, if you stop and think about it, it, it's a really encouraging part of the Bible for us because we see for the Apostle Paul, as he went about seeking to proclaim the good news of Jesus, uh, we see he didn't do it alone. But no, he did it with fellow co-workers in the Gospel. And some of these co-workers he describes as his friends, right? So, for example, Romans chapter 16, at the end of the letter, he sends his greetings to these Roman Christians. Uh, and he says in particular, he says, Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. And you can see the description of one who is a dear friend, one who is beloved. Or in verse 8, Ampliatus, again, is described as a dear friend in the Lord. Or Persis, again, a, a dear friend who has worked very hard in the Lord. And it's encouraging, isn't it, as we think of the Apostle Paul as he went about proclaiming the gospel to see these friends whom he laboured aside, alongside. But alongside the kind of the, the good of human relationships that Paul experienced, well, he also saw the bad as well. <laughs> Most notably, I think, in, in the person of Demas. See, Demas was uh, a person who's uh, noted a couple of times in these greeting sections. So, for example, when Paul writes the letter to the Colossian Christians, uh, he's there with Luke and Demas. And Paul says, well, Luke and Demas greet you. Or in the letter to Philemon, uh, Demas features again as one of Paul's co-workers. So you can see Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke are all named as these co-workers of Paul. But as we come to a, a later letter in the life of Paul, the letter of 2 Timothy... But we read this, look there, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Make every effort to come to me soon, for, for Demas has deserted me, because he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Uh, and it's sad to read, isn't it? We see this one who laboured alongside Paul, and yet now he has deserted him. We see that for the Apostle Paul, he experienced the negative of human relationships. And the sad thing is not just that he deserted Paul, but it seems that he's given up on his faith in the Lord Jesus because he loved this present world. But it's not just the Apostle Paul who experienced the, the good and the bad of human relationships. I mean, the Lord Jesus, we think of his life described for us in the Gospels. As he went about his ministry, he went with his friends, right? His 12 disciples, those who labored alongside him. And among the 12, were three, Peter, James and John, who he counted kind of in this inner circle. And you can imagine for Jesus, the, the positive spending time with these people. And yet, of course, Jesus experienced the bad as well. One of these twelve, Judas, betrayed Jesus to his death. And you can imagine the pain of having this person betray you. But for the remaining 11, at Jesus' greatest hour of need, as he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, well, all of them fled. 
as we think about our own context, we should expect to see both the, the good of human relationships. We see this is part of God's good design, but we also see the bad as well. We know that sin ruins everything. And so as we think about our own experience, as we enjoy the positive, as we come and meet with God's people, as we enjoy friendship with those that God has given us, this is a, a good thing, something we can be thankful for. But we also mustn't be surprised when we experience the bad, when people let us down. So we know that for us as Christians, yes, we've been forgiven by, sorry, forgiven for our sin. This is the, the great news we celebrate, isn't it? Because of what Jesus has done, we've been forgiven. And yet we know that sin continues to affect us. We still fail to live the way that we should. And others, God's people, so often we fail to live the way that we should. Now we'll come back to this kind of theme of disappointment in a moment. Uh, but first, it's important to recognise that if we want to enjoy the, the positive of human relationships, particularly amongst our church family, uh, there is a certain level of responsibility for ourselves to make sure that we're investing uh, in the lives of the people around us. See, sometimes people come to me and they say, look, you know, I'm just not feeling that connected with people at church. And I say, okay, look, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. But can you tell me, how, how is your gospel team going? And they say, oh yeah, well, my gospel team, I sort of, you know, stopped going a while ago. But see, as we think about the way that we've set up church, our, our gospel teams, when we meet together with other Christians during the week, I mean, this is the place where we're meant to get to know people. The place where we can build relationships with the people of God. The way that, the, the place that we can show love and kindness to one another. And so if you've chosen not to be part of a gospel team, and it does make it much harder for people to show love and kindness to you, to care for you in the way that you would like. See, sometimes, not always, but sometimes the kind of person who asks a question that we're thinking about, it's the kind of person who comes to church once a month, the kind of person who won't stay back to chat to people or dash off quickly. If we want to build genuine relationships with the people around us, there is a certain level of responsibility that we need to invest in the lives of the people around us for ourselves. Now, as we say this, it's worth recognising that for, for some of us, that, that's a really challenging thing. Some of us find it really hard to connect with others. And if that's you, well, it's good to, to recognise this, but to ask for help. You know, find someone that you trust at church and say, look, I'm finding it really hard to connect with people. Can you help me? Perhaps together we can have some conversations with some different people. Perhaps you can help me to, to get to meet some other people at church. And it's a reminder for all of us that we need to work hard at including others, at making sure that people feel as comfortable as they can to build relationships with the people at church. But on a kind of similar note, while it's important that we invest in the lives of others, it's also important that we have realistic expectations you know, sometimes, right, people come to me and they say, look, Kevin, I'm just not feeling like people at church really love and care for me. I say, okay, what do you mean? And I say, well, I was really hoping that someone would do this and this and this and this and this and this. And as the list continues, you think, well, it sounds a little bit demanding, a little bit unrealistic. I mean, yes, sin continues to affect us, but it's also that for us as 
creatures, we, we're limited, right? We have limited time and energy, and as Christians, we have lots of responsibilities. Yes, we want to be committed to loving one another, but we also want to be committed to the task of mission, of seeking to proclaim the Lord Jesus to those who are lost. We also have obligations as Christians, uh, to care for those who are dependent upon us, whether children or elderly parents or whatever it is. Uh, and there's different responsibilities that we have as Christians. Now, we don't want business to become an excuse. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. But it's important to recognise that for ourselves and for others, that we are limited. Right? We have limited time and energy. Uh, and sometimes the reason that we feel that our non-Christian friends seem to love us more than the people at church, I mean, it could be as simple as they're the people that have more time and energy available for us. But having talked about the importance of, well, investing ourselves into the lives of the people around us, of having realistic expectations, there's still a reality that the people around us will disappoint us. See, it might be that the person who's committed to church, the person who comes to church every week, the person who's committed to their gospel team, the person who makes a real effort to show love and kindness to those around them, who makes a real effort to connect and share their lives with others. And yet sometimes the sad reality is, is when the hard times come, the sickness, the loneliness, the unemployment, the struggles, the sad reality is that no one seems... To care. And it's not like this person has unrealistic expectations. They're expecting someone to fix all their problems. They just want someone to ask the question, how are you going? Is there something I can do to help? See, if we have a clear picture of sin, if we know and understand the way that it affects everything, we should not be surprised when the people at church disappoint us, we shouldn't be surprised when we feel let down by those around us. But while it doesn't come as a surprise, it's, it's still hard, isn't it? I mean, it breaks my heart as a pastor to imagine a situation like this. And it's only natural as we experience this that we would feel angry and bitter towards people, but also towards God. And it's important we recognise those things. But as the Psalms encourage us, in those times, let us not turn away from God, but let us turn towards Him. In the Psalms, we see all sorts of emotions, and yet the Psalms encourage us, well, to speak to God, to share with Him our struggles, our pain, our hurts, and to pray that God would fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus. See, if we think about Jesus... Well, he is the only true and faithful friend. When I think back to these words we read before from John chapter 15, kind of famous words of Jesus. He says, no one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. But of course, that is what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? He entered into our world. He went to the cross on our behalf to take our sin what we see is that Jesus is a true and faithful friend. And in fact, it's only by focusing on him that we will find true contentment, the contentment that will stay with us through the encouragements, but also the disappointments of human relationships. 
See, if you think back to Genesis, where we began in the very beginning of the talk, I mean, yes, we see Adam and Eve, they were created to be in a relationship together, and it was perfect. But as you think of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you see the focus is not so much on Adam and Eve together, but it's them together in relationship with God. Or if we think about our future, the future painted for us in the book of Revelation, as we look forward to the new Jerusalem, we see, yes, it's a, it's a perfect place with no sin where God's people can live together. But the focus is that God's people together will be with God. Well, yes, human relationships are an important part of our life. One of the great things we need to remember as Christians is that we have a restored relationship with God as our Father. And it's only as we focus on this, as we remember that Jesus well, he is a true and faithful friend. It's only then that we will find contentment. It's only then that we'll be able to let go of some of those feelings of, of bitterness and pain and hurt. It's only then that we can start to love people in the way that we had hoped others would love us. Perhaps even to show love and kindness to those who've disappointed us in the past. And we're going to think about that a little bit more in the third section as we think about that task of loving your church family. But you can see before we get to section three, we've got this uh, second section, this danger, uh, something that's important for us to be clear on from the Scriptures. So if we come back to the question then we're thinking through, so the question is, why do my non-Christian friends seem to love me more than the people at church? I mean, one of the things that we've got to be really clear on is that if to, to follow Jesus, if that, sorry, to follow Jesus, if that's the kind of go this way, right? Then the world is going a different direction. Now, there's lots of places we could turn to see this. Uh, I've picked two verses, one from James. Uh, and I have to say, James is not known for his, you know, gentle uh, words. So he starts off by saying, adulteresses. But then he continues, he says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or 1 John, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. See, sometimes, not always, but sometimes the reason that a, per sorry, reason that a person asks a question like this, you know, why do my non-Christian friends seem to love me more than the people at church? Sometimes part of the reason is that we're living closer to the world than according to how Jesus would have us live. So I'll give you an example, kind of a classic example, I guess. You know, imagine a Christian, right, a single guy or girl starts dating someone who's not a Christian. Right? Now this, this is a bad idea, right? As we think about that particular type of relationship, well, God wants us to date and marry people who are Christian, right? But imagine this scenario, right? The guy, the girl, they start dating a non-Christian uh, and they come to church and they sh share their news. And it becomes clear pretty quickly that this new partner is not a Christian. So how will people respond? Well, I think if they're really courageous, they might say, hang on, look, this is a bad idea. Right? We don't think this is a good thing for you to be doing. I think perhaps more likely, maybe sadly, the response is just kind of lukewarm. Oh yeah, that's nice hey, did you see that new TV show that started on the weekend? Let's change the subject, right? 
And you can understand why this Christian who's just started this new relationship, why they might feel rejected and hurt by the people at church. Especially when you contrast this to the reaction on Monday morning when they go to work. Someone asks them, how was your weekend? Oh yeah, I started this new relationship. What's the response? Wow, that's great. I'm so happy for you. I'm so glad. Hey, do you have a picture that you could show us? Actually, on, on Friday, we've got drinks after work. Why don't you invite your new partner along? We'd love to meet them. And you can understand in this situation why that person might ask the question, well, why do my non-Christian friends seem to love me more than the people at church? We cannot be naive here. We have to recognize that if to, to live according to Jesus, if that is to go this way, then our world is going a different direction. And so if we find ourselves in the situation where we're taking a course of action that our non-Christian friends are supporting and encouraging and the people at church are lukewarm at best, then at the very least we need to ask the question, don't we? Are we genuinely seeking to live for Jesus? Are we seeking to live in accordance to the Word of God? Or are we simply just gathering around us the things that our itching ears want to hear. We cannot be naive about the dangers of this world. But having sounded the warning, well, that brings us then to our third and final point of loving your church family. So if we come back to the question we've been thinking about, why do my non-Christian friends seem to love me more than people at church? I mean, in one sense, it's a bit of a sad question, isn't it? We don't want people to ask questions like this because we want them to feel loved and supported by the people at church. Now, there's lots of places we go for this, but I mean, John 15 is pretty clear. Right? As Jesus speaks to his disciples, those who would follow him, he says, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. It's pretty clear. One of the things that char- should characterize us as the people of God is that we love one another in the same way that Jesus has loved us. And so I wanted to finish then with sort of three encouragements Three encouragements to, well, to work on this task of loving one another, of loving our church family. And so the first encouragement is to make it a priority, right? We said before that Christians are often busy. Uh, I think that's true. We have lots of different things we're involved in. And yet it's important that we see that, well, loving one another, this is, it's, this is something that God would have us do. And so if we want to see it happen, we have to make it a priority. The thing about loving other people is that it doesn't always happen at convenient times, right? And if we find ourselves too busy, if we find ourselves overcommitted, that we have no capacity to show love and kindness to others as the opportunity arises, then I think we need to reconsider the kinds of things that we're saying yes to. Because this is something that's really important for us. This is really important. If we want to be a follower of Jesus, we need to make sure that we're committed And we have a priority on seeking to love those around us. But my second encouragement is to start small and to build up. Right, just imagine for a moment, imagine I wanted to uh, get fit, okay? Not really true, okay, but just just imagine for a moment, right? I really wanted to get fit. And uh, so I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is next weekend, I'm going to run a marathon, right? Now, hopefully, if I told you that, you would say, no, that's a bad idea, right? You can't just start running a marathon. Instead, hopefully, you would say, look, I'm glad you want to get fit, Kev, but uh, 
maybe you should start with a smaller distance, right? Start small and then build yourself up. And I think it's the same is true when it comes to, to loving other people. But if you recognise that this is not something that you're particularly good at, something you need to work on, then don't start by putting the whole weight of the world on your shoulders because you'll end up doing nothing. Instead, just try and start in small ways and then build yourself up. So a great place to start is at your gospel team. Right? The people that you meet with during the week, you know, when they share prayer points, well, take some time to listen to what they're saying. Commit to praying for them during the week. I mean, that's a, a great way to show love to others. But then when you see them on a Sunday, ask them about it. Say, hey, how is that thing going? Is there something I could do to help? But when you start small, make sure you start to build up. You know, maybe in your gospel team, there's someone who you find a bit tricky to deal with. Right? Well, here's an opportunity to grow yourself, a gift from God. Right? You could think, well, what would it mean for me to show love and kindness? How can I get to know that particular person? Or maybe you might start to look outside of your gospel team to the congregation and think, what are the opportunities that you can show love and kindness to those around you? So my first encouragement, make it a priority. Second, start small, build up. Thirdly then, don't forget the good news of Jesus. See, one of the greatest ways that we can show love to others is to remind them of what Jesus has done. Right? As we think about what we are as a church, we don't want to just be a club for people who are nice to one another. No, we want to be a people who are committed to, to building one another up in Christian maturity. We want to be people who speak the word of truth to one another in love. And so as we think of loving others, make sure you speak of Jesus as you do it. But it's also important to remember the good news of Jesus for ourselves. Because as we think about the task of loving others, the reality is, is that you will fall short. You will disappoint other people and that can be hard, right? I mean, you might really go out of your way to show love and kindness to someone and yet it's not received in the way that you had hoped. And it's at times like this we need to remember the good news of Jesus. To remember that our standing before God is not based on what we do. Our standing before God is not based on what other people think of us. No, our standing before God is based on what Jesus has already done for us. When he was a true friend, when he died on the cross in our place. And this is one of the greatest things about being a Christian, is the freedom that we have in Christ. Freedom from the penalty of sin. And to know that we will be with God forever. But as we think about the freedom that we have, well, let us use it to serve one another. Right, and I'll finish with this, a verse from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. The encouragement here, Paul writes, he says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. He says, don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use the freedom that you have in Christ as an opportunity for, for sinful indulgence. But instead, he says, use this freedom as an opportunity to serve one another in love. Well, how about I lead us in prayer and ask for God's work in us. Our Father, we do give you great thanks for the Lord Jesus. 
We thank you that he is a true and faithful friend. That he is one who gave up his own life for us, a ransom for many, so that we could be freed from the penalty of our sin. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. And we pray that we might find contentment in him. Father, we do give you thanks for the positive of human relationships. Father, we thank you for the friends that you have given us. Father, we know that you are the giver of all good things, and so we say thank you to you, and we praise you for your kindness to us. And yet, Lord, Father, we know that sin continues to affect us all. Father, you know the way that we have been hurt and disappointed in the past. In the times that we feel this pain, may we turn to you. May we find true contentment in knowing the Lord Jesus. And Father, may you be at work in us. Help us to be committed to loving those that you have given us in our church. Father, you know that we find this hard. But we pray that by your spirit that you would shape us. Help us to love others in the way that Jesus first loved us. And we pray these things for your glory. Amen.